So hello and welcome to this edition of the Network Collective Short Take. Recently, we introduced a new concept to the Short Take called a Community Spotlight. Well, today we're introducing uh, the next new twist to this series, which is aptly and very creatively being called Lessons Learned. We'll be using these segments to talk to network practitioners about some of the most memorable and impactful experiences in their career in order to hopefully learn from those successes and mistakes. And if that's too ambitious for you, I'm sure it will be enjoyable enough to either commiserate in shared struggle or celebrate that your challenges haven't been as dramatic as some others. Regardless, there's plenty of lessons to be learned out there, and we'll be starting with our first one right after this break. So, Nick Russo, here you are, yet again, the brave soul starting a new series with me here on Network Collective. Yeah, I love it. Uh, They say fortune favors the bold. I'm not so convinced that that's always true, though. (laughs) Uh, So, Nick, um, I hear you have a story on leadership. And I'm just going to let you set the stage and run with it. And I'm going to, I'm just going to chat and ask questions as it makes sense. All right. Sure thing. So in the, when we talked earlier and I gave you kind of my background story about my, my time in the military and how I got into networking, I want to dig deeper into my first deployment, which was in Haiti. And the kind of moral of this story, kind of the bottom line up front is if you're in a leadership position, you need to let people fail. And when I, you know, I'll explain what that means here in a minute. And just so you know, I was the person who failed and it was someone else who demonstrated excellent leadership. So it's not, uh, not me pumping myself this up. It's not a thing. pat on the back for, for, the not for me. Story. No, quite the opposite. <laughs> so in January, 2010, there was a big earthquake in Haiti. My unit got deployed and we were on a ship. So a few days travel down there and okay, our ship is sitting offshore and Normally in the military, without getting too detailed, the unit's commander typically will go forward on the ground and he'll take a small collection of staff officers and senior enlisted personnel with him to help manage a forward command post or something like it. And as a primary staff officer, which I was as the battalion communications officer, uh, conventionally I would go with the commander. So I did. So we get on our, you know, hovercraft boat, we go land on the shore, we get off, everyone's out like eating mangoes and stuff, you know, very stereotypical, but it was Haiti. So anyway, we <laughs> set up our tent. I must say that your, your, your networking experience stories already start off way better than mine. Yeah. So, well, there's, I got, I got a million other stories about Haiti, and but yeah. And going on yeah, so, shore and military deployments. <laughs> yeah. So we, we get on shore, we set everything up and, um, well, actually, there were some people on shore before I even got there. So some, some stuff was already set up. But anyway, when I, by the time I got there, uh, as soon as I got there, one of the more senior lieutenants said, hey, y- we need you to do a four-hour watch officer shift every day from you know 10 to 2. I said, whatever, fine. So they put me in this, and I said, well, okay, now I'm here. What do I do? They're like, well, you listen, you watch the radios for anything interesting that happens and you watch the IRC chat and make sure nothing goes crazy. And that's it. I was like, okay. So my training was about 45 seconds. I didn't really know what was going on. Uh, I was surrounded with people who were relatively skilled. I had a radio operator. There was a, an air traffic control type person. Like there were other skilled people. So I said, okay, I'm just going to sit here. And if I need help, I'll ask someone. I didn't think it was a big deal. Uh, Weather was nice. It was quiet. It's obviously not a combat deployment. So I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. A few days go by and I'm on watch again. And a subordinate commander, one of our company commanders was doing some kind of relief convoy delivering uh, uh, non-government organization or NGO supplies, something like that. 
and he requested permission to change his route or, or change his plans in some way. Again, I don't, I don't completely remember it was 10 years ago, but he, he wanted to do something and it was significant in terms of timeline and location. And, you know, basically I, you know, I can't continue with the original plan. I need to make a change. And he was requesting permission from the battalion to make that change. Now I thought it was my job as the watch officer to make that decision because I'm looking around and, you know, where's the commander? I don't see him. So he's not in sight. And this guy needs a decision. Um, in the Marine Corps, you're taught to have a bias for action and you're taught to take initiative. And those are, those are seen as positive attributes. So I said, well, your plan seems sound and it sounds like you have a good alternative. So I directed him to proceed. Now, granted, this was like a, a senior captain or a major, and I was a brand new second lieutenant with no authority whatsoever. So I, I made this, I told him to do it. And then I saw the commander and his senior staff, I don't know, 10 minutes later. So I approached them. And I said, sir, here's what happened. You know, uh, this unit wanted to go and change this thing. And before I could even finish speaking, his senior staff officers were, were all over me. Uh, they were extremely, they were, they were furious with me. Um, you know, they were, I don't even remember what they said. All I knew is that they were extremely angry and telling me, <laughs> you know, the feeling, you, it doesn't really matter what they said. They've yeah, what, we're not happy with what you did. Yeah. Why did you do that? And blah, blah, blah. And I, I was like, I, I was blown away. I, I thought I did the right thing. And the commander did something that I thought was unexpected because, you know, when I told him I could see the anger on his face too. And I knew he was very upset at my uh, transgression, but he quickly silenced all of his staff. And then he spoke to me and he said, look, your job as the watch officer is to monitor the situation. That's why we call it a watch officer. When things happen and you need to make decisions that have battalion-wide impact, you need to find one of us. Brief us on what's happened. Tell us what the courses of action are. We will make a decision, and it's your job to oversee and execute that decision. I said, yes, sir, I understand. So I went, and then he said, okay, now get back to watch and, you know, let us know if you, if you need any help or you have any problems. So there's a few lessons there we should unpack. So the first is, you know, not just that he was uh, merciful in, in stopping the onslaught, because that's really the, the most minor and most, the, the least significant piece of it. I but don't know. I don't know that that's true. So, I mean, chiming in here. This was, this was your first real responsibility, right? Like, I mean, like, I don't, maybe not your first real responsibility, but like you just showed up, you just right. got on the scene and you do something wrong immediately, I imagine that will change the, the approach you would take if someone didn't, I mean, if, if you're going to take action and then get just absolutely rolled over because you took action, are you going to take action the next time? Yeah, absolutely not. So I think, I mean, I guess where I was going with that is I wasn't so, you know, like you're absolutely right that I, you know, had he not done that and had he joined in on the fray, I probably would have just become a, a passive and, you know, relatively inactive watch officer for the rest of that deployment. And I'd probably be very, uh, very CYA after that, you know, to, to avoid a, a lashing like that again. So I guess you're right. There's, there's definitely some value there, but it wasn't like I couldn't take it. Um, but the fact that the fact that he, you know, hit his anger and explained to me what I did wrong and even though he, it was completely within his authority to fire me and put me back on the ship or make me do whatever he wanted, uh, he told me to get back and go back to doing the exact job I just failed at and do it again. And he very easily could have called up someone else to take my position and do it. We had enough officers to do it. Uh, but he gave me another chance, said, go back, try again. You know, I think you understand how to do this. It's not that hard. Now, of course, I wasn't going to complain to him and tell him, 
nobody told me what you just told me. Cause that would just be, you know, not a professional thing to do. I was like, you know, you already, I already got the, the ribbing, let's call yeah. it done. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the other staff guys, you know, they were probably angry for a little while about it. Um, you know, he, he told me, he's like, Hey, go tell the commander that his plan is not approved and that he's going to do this instead. So I did that. Of course, the subordinate commander was also very angry with me, but, uh, you know, that's just the reality. So, so really where I'm going with this is I think he did a good job of, cause he, he understood, he understood the context, you know, there were, this was, and just to back up even more, the unit that I deployed with, they just got back from a deployment. So I showed up in December of 09. They got back in like October of 09 from a previous seven month deployment. So this whole unit had already trained and been on the same ship together. They just came back and then we got redeployed short notice for the earthquake. And I was one of the very, very few people who showed up in between. So 99% of this unit was all the veterans from the previous deployment and I was brand new. So I was not only new to the unit, I was new to the operating forces in general. So right. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have any friends. My troops didn't know me. I didn't know them. Um, I wouldn't say that I was scared, but I was definitely confused. And I, you know, I had great subordinate leadership. My, my enlisted troops that supported me were excellent. And they definitely kept me out of hot water a lot. Where I'm really going with this is that I didn't have mentorship. And he knew that. The commander knew that I was brand new that I didn't have friends. No one was looking out for me. No one had my interests in mind. And he's like, the last thing I want to do is create a bitter and a spiteful junior officer who's going to serve four more years in the Marine Corps and just hate everyone if I let this continue. That's probably what was going on in his mind. I don't know that because I didn't know, you know, he was so many levels above me that I didn't think to ever ask him, but I imagine that's what was going on in his mind. Right. And he accomplished a couple of things, right? Like he avoided that situation in which you were, um, you know, you no longer felt empowered. Um, but then also obviously made this impression that as you stepped into leadership and had your own responsibilities, that you had an example to follow when it came to letting people fail. And you're right. I mean, he had the right just to kind of like pull you off. Like you failed, like you're done, go do something else, go sweep, go do whatever. But like, he said, no, like that was a, it was a stupid mistake, but it's, it's not, you know, it's not something that can't be corrected. And it's also not something that's um, debilitating. And so like, let's make it a lesson learned and move on. And it, and it empowers you to continue to get better, which is, which is good. And I think that there's a lot of relevance in, in our world. I think that a lot of people are very afraid to make mistakes. Yeah. And you know, what's, what's interesting is I'm, I'm sure you've heard the term in the tech, in the tech area of the, the resume generating event. You oh, know, yeah. something really terrible. But the way I think about that is, you know, if you make a mistake and it costs your company a million bucks and then they fire you, to me, that's just dumb because the company just spent a million dollars to train you, if you think about it. <laughs> that's a really interesting perspective. It was a million dollar lesson that <laughs> they paid for and they invested a million bucks in you to learn this very hard lesson and then you fired him. Like, yeah, it's, it's not likely gone. you're going to repeat that mistake after yeah, the, those the, types of consequences. Yeah. yeah, the money's already gone. It's already a sunk cost. So by firing someone who caused that loss, you're really just firing the million-dollar experience. And that's how I look at it. Now, of course, in the, in the military, it's a little bit different, but that's that's how I like to view you know the people who talk about resume-generating events. I, I would think that unless you're a routine poor performer and it's coming up, you know, you've had this happen multiple times and you got to go, but if you just happen to crash a system and it's really bad for the business, you'll learn for sure. Absolutely. So, 
Complete agreement there. I mean, that's an interesting story. I mean, so it's not a, not a direct, you know, this was, I mean, obviously it was in the execution of your, of doing your job, but not necessarily to networking, but I agree that in leadership that there's, there's some nuance there and then maybe just to, you know, to pull the lesson back there. And that is that in leadership, I think it's an important word to use. It's not being the boss. Oftentimes leadership can be being the senior person on the team or it can be the, you know, the mentor position or it can be whatever. The idea is leadership is somebody who has the ability um, to, to teach, educate, guide, and mentor somebody below you who's on their way up, right? Like there's leadership without necessarily positional leadership. And I think that that's applicable in both, you know, positional leadership and, and just, you know, leadership because of a function. Uh, this idea of, of failure is, I think failure is kind of inevitable, right? Like, I mean, the idea is that we're going to make a mistake at some point. Um, I think the, I think the challenge in networking, um, I was having this conversation before with somebody, and I forget who it was, but it, it's not important. What is important is that networking positions are hard because uh, the mistakes there tend to affect lots and lots of people. It's very rare that a networking mistake affects one person. It's almost always it affects the entire company or affects, a, you know, a big section of the company or a site or whatever. And so mistakes, I think people are a bit more hesitant to, to go out and do that. But I think cultures that allow that, we see, uh, we see the cultures that allow mistakes to happen without retribution tend to grow and learn and mature faster. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, I think we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks again for, for bringing the brave soul coming on and starting this with me. I think we've got a couple more uh, that, that are lined up. I'm excited to talk about. So we'll, uh, we'll release, uh, we'll release this one and there'll be more coming. So, uh, so if you're listening or watching, keep an eye for those. Uh, if you like this and you want to go find past episodes of Network Collective, you can find them at uh, thenetworkcollective.com. There you can find everything else you need to find for where we are at podcast sites, where we are with video sites. Um, and yeah, I think that's it. So thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And we'll uh, see you next time.